0: Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. All right, so uh, anyone excited about Christmas? Let me see. Show of hands. Yeah. Boy, that's not even half, I don't think. I'm excited. Yeah, there we got two hands. All right, so that makes up for somebody. Um, No, it's December. It's December 1st. I can actually start thinking about Christmas now. You know, I'm not allowed in November. That's, that's Thanksgiving month, and so I don't think about it. And uh, so now it's Christmas month, and we can actually play Christmas music now, and we're actually going to do that. I'm so excited. So next weekend, we're launching our new series. It's just three weeks long, and uh, we are going to have our kids actually come up here on stage and do, um, participate in our worship time. They're going to be singing some Christmas carols. And so you want to make sure you come, bring your kids, bring the grandparents, and bring a camera, right? Because that's going to be something else. We'll see them come up here and do that. Uh, also, so our Christmas series is titled, A New Hope, Finding Peace in an Anxious World. And it's the kind of series where you can invite someone who's outside of the church, maybe somebody who's never been to church before. Um, but this is a great series to invite them to come to. Uh, during the Christmas season people are more open to going to church. So this is a great time to invite a friend, a family member, a coworker, a fellow student. Again, somebody maybe who uh, hasn't been open to your invitations in the past uh, are more open now. So we do have these little invite cards on the um, name tag table. Feel free to take a couple of those and hand them out and just let people know about the upcoming series. So bring a friend. So today I want to start off our message by telling you a story that I read on the Good News Network. Um, it's kind of a little bit about food. I mean, I know I'm still full from Thursday. You know, I ate so much. But this is this is about the Waffle House. Anybody been to Waffle House before? Yeah, a few of you. So the Waffle House is pretty um, popular down south. So a few weeks ago, at a Waffle House in Alabama, on a Sunday night, there were about thirty hungry customers in the restaurant when they realized that there was only one employee for the entire restaurant. The employee was doing the cooking, the cleaning, the busing, the ordering, taking the money, everything it was down to one employee. Think about that. Midnight, Sunday night, Waffle House in Alabama, <laughs> 30 hungry customers and you're it. Well, thankfully, one of the customers came up and noticed what was going on and said, hey, are you the only employee scheduled? And he's like, yeah, I'm it. And so he says, well, what can I do to help? And so the, employee, uh, the customer jumped on and started doing the dishes. Here's the guy. He just started doing the dishes uh, for him to help out. And then uh, soon after that, another lady comes up in high heels and a sequin dress. And she went behind the counter and started brewing coffee, taking orders, and even busing Tables, and then there was a third guy who jumped up uh, in a red shirt, is all I heard, and he started helping as well. So, the customer that was um, watching all of this was quoted as saying, It made a difference to many people that night, certainly made an impact on me. He added, Humanity isn't just good, it's great. It's great. So, those three customers were really good to that employee. I mean, when that employee needed help, they jumped in and really helped out. So my question for today is, have you ever had someone who was really good to you? Think about it for a second. Ever had someone who was really good to you? Well, while I was putting this message together, immediately what came to my mind was my wife, Rose, and uh, I thought, you know, she's pretty good to me. I don't think I deserve everything that she does for me. So I wanted, But I'm going to brag on her for a little bit. Every week, Rose does my laundry, and she's never complained. Not once. Have you ever complained? No, no. I don't think she's ever complained. And what's more, she actually hangs my shirts up in the order that I want them hung up. Isn't that nice? Yeah, because she has her order. She likes them done a certain way. But I said, hey, hon, could you do them in chronological order? That's helpful for me, you know? So I know when I wore whatever. (laughs) So yeah, she does that for me. Um, When I'm... uh, when I. So like our shower towel, we like hang it up and use it more than once. Whenever she does the laundry, she takes my shower towel down and washes it, which is nice. But more than that, she actually puts a clean one up and replaces it. Isn't that nice? I mean, that's like going above and beyond. It really is. Um, my toothpaste, you know, like when my toothpaste is running out, I'll, I'll, I'll like squeeze the last bit of toothpaste out of it. And the next time I open up the drawer, there's a new tube toothpaste, toothpaste. She's just like thinking ahead, helping me out, planning for me. And I'll tell you this, guys, don't get jealous on this one up, but I got to tell you, you know, the other day I was taking a nap because I had had a long day of hunting, you know, so feel sorry for me. I was tired. And I was taking a nap. And when I woke up, I realized that she had washed my car for me while I slept. Wasn't that sweet. Yeah, I mean, all the women are now mad and all the husbands are going, hey, hon, we got to do something about this. (laughs) So my wife is really good to me, really good to me. But how about you? Have you ever had someone do something really good for you? Like uh, an example would be, you're you're going out to eat with someone and they grab the the bill and they pay your bill. Had someone do that for me the other day. I'm like, wow, they just bought my meal. That's so nice. Or... Um, this past week, you know, was Thanksgiving. Maybe your boss was super good to you and said, hey, go ahead and take the afternoon off, you know, or leave a couple hours early, that kind of thing. Anybody ever? Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Um, Or this is a social media, right, uh, world. So maybe somebody said something nice about you on social media, just like, you know, talked about you. You ever had that happen? So those are really nice as well. See, in life, there are those times when people are good to us. They're good to us. And I would submit to you that when people are good to us, it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. All good things are from God, even when it's other people treating us well. It's a gift from God. And the reason for that is because God is good. He is so good. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. And Psalms four eight says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then even in this book of Nahum, anybody like read Nahum for your devotions this week? It uh, says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. See, the reality is, the Lord is really, really good. We have a really, really good God, and all good things come from Him. And He has really good things in store for us as well, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, We're in our series. We're finishing it up today. It's called Psalm 23, Discovering How God Cares for Us. And every week, we've been going through a different verse of Psalm chapter 23, Last week, Rose spoke on verse 5 of chapter, 30, of chapter 23, and her message title was God Our Gracious Host. And the, the message was, was all about how God wants to just like sit with us, have a meal with us, spend time with us, get to know us really well. And if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go online and you can check it out there. But today, we're going to be wrapping up the series and wrapping up the chapter by finishing With chapter 6. But as we uh, have been doing through the entire series, I'd like to read the entire chapter uh, together. The chapter is on your handout. It's also on the screen as well. And for some of you, you might have been working on memorizing this during the series as well. So if that's you, just close your eyes as we read this out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So today we're going to be focusing on verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So today's message is titled Psalm 23, The Shepherd Who Is So Good. To me, And it's a message about God's goodness for each one of us. So I'm going to give you a few points to fill in on your handout, but first let me pray and then we'll get started. So God, we come to you right now and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that you have good things in store for us, Lord. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to be here today, to to speak to our hearts and minds, to really receive what you have for us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so you guys can fill this in on your handout if you would like. The first point, when Jesus is our shepherd, number one, he gives us both grace and mercy. He gives us both grace and mercy. So the verse starts out and says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And in the King James Version, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so what I want to do is I want to focus on those two words, goodness and mercy, and define them back in the the Hebrew context. So the the Hebrew word for goodness is tobe. It's been defined as beautiful, best, better, bountiful, cheerful, favor, fine, and good. And this word is used also in the book of Genesis when God is doing the the creation story and he says he created the heavens and the earth and it was good. It's this word, it was good. So it's a comparison to how good creation is as well. And then the second word is translated as mercy or love and it is this word kased, which means love, favor, good deed, Kindness, mercy. And this was in, uh, this word was used in Genesis chapter 19 uh, when Lot is being saved from the evil cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot says, Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness. That's this cassette. You have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. So this word, great kindness uh, or mercy, uh, is, 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 called kesed, all right? Now, God's goodness can be shown to us through his grace, and we're going to talk about that. So, God's goodness can be shown through his grace, and God's love is shown through his mercy. Grace and mercy, to me, many times have seemed to be the same word, like you show somebody grace or you show them mercy, but they're really two very different words. And so, we're going to talk about the difference between grace and and mercy. I found this article in Christianity Today, and it says this, mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment, while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. In his mercy, God does not give us punishment we deserve, namely hell, while in his grace, God gives us the gift we do not deserve, namely heaven. Okay, so grace and mercy, it's part of how God shows us love and kindness. So in God's goodness, or God's grace, God gives us a gift that we do not deserve. All right? Can I see that? And in God's mercy, He does not give us the punishment that we do deserve. All right? Let me say that again. In God's grace, He gives us the gift we do not deserve. And in His mercy, He does not give us the punishment that we do deserve Now King David, who wrote Psalm 23, understood this. I mean, he's, he, he had a lot of life. We're going to talk about that. So when he says, "Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life," he's speaking from experience. So let's go back and talk a little bit about King David. So he was born as a shepherd, the youngest of eight sons, and when the prophet Samuel came to his household to anoint him the future king of Israel, his dad didn't even bring him up to the table. His dad marched before the prophet Samuel, his seven older sons. And God said to Samuel, it's none of these. And Samuel was like, do you have any more kids? I mean, because it's none of these guys. And they're like, well, we do have our youngest, David, but he's out watching the sheep. And he goes, well, Bring him in. And and that's who God chose to be the future king of Israel, was this youngest of of seven boys, youngest of eight sons, um, the shepherd out in the field. Now, later on, as we know, we got the story of David and Goliath. He actually kills the the giant Goliath. He ends up being on uh, King Saul's court, and he was a musician playing for the court. And then later on, he becomes the commander of Saul's army, and he wins tons of battles. Eventually, he succeeds Saul as king and becomes king of Israel. So he has, he's had everything. He's had quite a life. He's had everything. But then the story takes a little bit of a turn. It was in the spring, and the scripture says, when kings go off to battle, he sent his army off to battle, but King David stayed home. And King David, I think, wasn't where he was supposed to be. I think King David was supposed to be off in battle with his army, but he stayed home, and I think he was bored. You you know that boredom can actually take us into places we shouldn't go, right? I mean, we've kind of been there before. Um, Well, I think that's what happened to David. So David's up on top of his palace, and he looks down, and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, and he, he calls her. Sends his servants down to bring her up to his palace and he sleeps with her. Commits adultery because there are two problems here. One is she was married. She was married to Uriah. And secondly, she became pregnant. And so King David's like, oh, man, I don't want people to know about this. So he sinned. He doesn't, he doesn't repent right away. You guys ever been there before where you're like, you make a mistake and you're like, well, how do I, how do I cover that up? How do I make up for it? Instead of just like announcing, I go, oh man, I've sinned God, confessing our sin. Well, that's, David didn't confess his sin and it got worse. So he called Uriah from the front lines. Uriah was a soldier, brought him in. And he's he's like, okay, you're here. I have a message for you to send back to the commanders. But why don't you first go spend the night with your wife trying to cover up his sin, you know, so that Uriah would think that she's pregnant because of him and not because of David. Well, Uriah was a pretty noble man. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go spend the night in my house when my fellow soldiers are sleeping on the ground in battle. And he slept outside of the king's gates on the ground. The next night, David's like, well, come here, let's feast. And he gets him drunk because he's hoping that he'll stumble back home and, and, again, think that her pregnancy is his. And uh, Uriah doesn't. He spends the night on the grounds again and uh, won't go back home. So David's in trouble. So he makes matters worse. He writes a note to the commander, seals it with the, his seal, Gives it to Uriah to deliver to the commander. And the message was basically you need to take Uriah and put him on the front lines and then withdraw and let him be killed. And that's what happens Uriah delivers his own death warrant and he ends up being killed. And nobody knows it. Nobody knows except for that one commander, right, about David's sin. So Bathsheba is now a widow, about to have a baby. So King David, in all of his compassion, marries her, takes her into his household to cover things up, and uh, she ends up having a baby. And then King David thinks it's all covered up. Everything's fine. Guys, we know that when we sin, God sees it all, right? I mean, David thought that he was hiding this. Then the prophet Nathan showed up, confronts David with his sin. And David repents. It's then that he repents. Now his newborn baby with Bathsheba dies and he ends up losing his entire kingdom to his son Absalom. Now in this story, God's extending both grace and mercy. First of all, let's talk about the mercy side. Because the the penalty for adultery is death and the penalty for murder is death. David both committed adultery and committed murder. And his punishment should have been death. But God extends mercy to David. And he doesn't die. Now he loses his kingdom, but then God turns around and hands him back his kingdom. Not only that, so David gets his kingdom back, but he has another child with Bathsheba. This is where God's grace is coming into play. Think about this. He has another child with Bathsheba. It's a boy. His name is Solomon. He becomes King Solomon. He succeeds David as king one day. And Solomon is with God. God's with Solomon. And he's the smartest guy that ever lived. He wrote most of the book of Proverbs. That's God's grace. That God would anoint the child of his wife Bathsheba who he committed adultery with and murdered her husband. David didn't deserve that kind of blessing, but that's an example of God's grace. And what is more, if you trace the lineage, the ancestral lineage of Joseph, the father of Jesus, it goes back to Solomon. It goes back through Bathsheba. And it's an incredible example of God's mercy and grace. Now, most of us probably will fall into one of two camps when we talk about grace and mercy. So some of us might have a difficult time receiving God's mercy because you think about the sins that you've committed, the mistakes that you've made, and you look back at your life and go, I don't know that God can forgive me for that because I can't forgive myself. I knew what I was doing, I knew it was wrong, and I did it anyway. Well, God has mercy for you in the midst of that. No matter what sin you've committed, no matter what mistake you've ever made, God's mercies are new for us each and every day. Here's three scriptures I wanna read to you. Psalms 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's east and that's west. They never touch. They're so far apart from each other. That's how far God has removed our sins from us. It's part of his mercy. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I don't even know how that works. But God says, I will forget your sins. Even if you keep thinking about it or the enemy keeps reminding you of it, in his mercy, God forgives us of every sin. And then 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. There's his mercy. But get this, and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, that's his grace. In his mercy, he just has to forgive us. But in his grace, he purifies us from all of our unrighteousness. We don't have to walk in unrighteousness. He purifies us from it. See, that's God's mercy. And for some of us today, that might be hard for us to receive. But those are the truths of the gospel. But for others, you might be in the second camp. You may not struggle with knowing that God can forgive us, but You might struggle like I did for many, many years, which was accepting God's grace, which is unmerited favor. It's things that God wants to give us that we don't deserve. We haven't earned it. Matthew 7, 9 through 11, this is Jesus speaking. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Guys, a gift can't be earned. If we earn it, then it's a reward or it's a payment, right? God's grace is a gift to us. He wants to give us good things out of his goodness and we don't deserve it just so just so we're clear we can't earn it and yet god adopts us in as his sons and daughters and wants to give us good things ephesians 2 8 through 9 says for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation is one of those gifts. Salvation is one of those gifts. You can write this down. Our good God both gives and forgives. That's for all of us. No matter which camp you fall into, man, he will forgive you for everything that you've done. And he has good gifts for you, no matter whether or not you deserve it. So that's point number one. When Jesus is our shepherd, he gives us both grace and mercy. Here's number two. When Jesus is our shepherd, he offers us a forever home. Scripture says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we're talking about King David. King David loved to be in the presence of God. He loved to be in the temple of God. And that's all he wanted to do. Psalms 27.4 says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. This is King David speaking. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. So again, going back to David's story, you, you know what he did. And I don't know if he had, was able to forgive himself or not. But he accepted God's mercy and he accepted God's grace. And he was able to walk into the temple of God and be in the presence of God. That's the one thing that he wanted was to be in God's presence. Now the scripture says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David knew he wasn't gonna live forever. So he was talking about eternity. He was talking about heaven. And that's what we have as really... The best example of God's grace. Because in God's mercy, he forgives us our sins and doesn't have hell for us, okay? That's the punishment we deserve. But heaven, heaven is this gift. It's this reward that he has, and this is God's grace. Now, we don't know much about heaven, but we do know it's going to be really, really good one day. On the cross, Jesus described heaven as paradise, It's going to be paradise. Scripture says there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. We will have treasures in heaven, and we're even going to have our own place to live, which is kind of cool. John 14, 1 through 3, this is Jesus speaking. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. you believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house, which is in heaven, has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So David understood this concept of grace and mercy, that he was forgiven for his past mistakes, but he was also given the opportunity to have a forever home in heaven one day. I'm going to invite Krista to come up here. We're going to do a song in a little bit. But I want to talk about Jesus as our shepherd. All right? We've we've spent, you know, the last six weeks talking about the good shepherd. And we talked about how when Jesus is our shepherd, he cares for us. He knows us. He knows what we need. He guides us. He protects us. He's a gracious host to us. And he has good things stored up for us, grace and mercy. John 10, 27 says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So here's the question I want us to consider today. Am I in Jesus's flock? Am I in Jesus's flock? Scripture says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each and every one of us. And I don't know about you, but in my walk in following Christ, there have been seasons when I am all in. You know, everything that God asks me to do, I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. And then there are those times when God asks me to do something. I'm like, whoa, I don't know about that, God. I was reminded when I was in high school. I'm like, man, God, I'm all in. I want to follow you, do everything that you tell me. And God said, well, okay, I I don't want you to date. Okay, everything but that, God, because I'm going to follow you, but I want to choose who I date. I don't want you messing around with that. Well, God, that's an example of, of straying away, right? Of wandering away from the flock. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me two important characteristics of being in God's flock. One is we listen to his voice. That's a question for you. Are you listening for God's voice? Are you even asking him, is this where I should go? Is this what I should do? Is this where I should work? Are you asking the question to even listen to his voice? And then the second part is, says, they listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Are you following God in every aspect of your life? In every aspect of your life? God extends both grace and mercy to us. So even if we're like sheep and we've wandered off, He's there following us and say, no, I got grace and mercy, just come back, come back to the flock, because there are huge huge benefits to being part of the flock. So, So here's the opportunity today, if you guys would all stand. There are times when we are confronted with the truth that we have wandered away from God. Maybe it's our whole life, and we are just not following God. Or maybe it's just an aspect of your life. Maybe it's like in finances or relationships where you've decided, I'm not gonna follow you in that area. But it's times like this that God convicts us and says, hey, I'm here because I followed you. With love and mercy, I'm following you. And he gives us an opportunity to repent. That's That's a church word which means to turn from. And it really means to to stop wandering away and to turn back to the flock. And when we have those opportunities to repent, that's when we stop doing life on our own in in whatever area this may be, and we go back to following God. And then our protections are there. God's love is there. The community is there. So here's the deal. When, When God convicts us of that, it's important for us to respond. And so today, I want to invite you to come up and let me pray with you. If you know that there's an area in your life or maybe it's your life that you want to repent and get back in order, you want to get back into the flock today. So is there anyone where you know God's convicting you and you want to get things right with God?